the Rhythm Writer, and this is For Posterity. Welcome to Season 2. This is Episode 1. Welcome back. We are now in Season 2 of the For Posterity podcast, and I am so happy to have you as a new listener, as an old listener, and as something in between. So thank you for joining me on a new journey. I hope that you've been following me on social media. If not, you can always find me on Twitter at Isis Samaj Hall. No dots, no spaces, of course. And you can follow me on Instagram at rhythm.writer. So follow me in those spaces, and you can also read my blog, which is www.isisamajhall.com, where you can read Deridim. But here we are. Here we are in this space of the podcast, and what will we be talking about for this episode? Well, I'll be talking to you about education and really thinking about what will education look like at the beginning of this new academic year, given all the changes that have taken place, all of the telling and speaking and sharing and protesting that's been taking place since March. So what we have are really two pandemics taking place concurrently. We have this COVID-19 situation, of course, but we also have racism. Yes, it never left. Now, with Black Lives Matter being the hashtag of the year so far, I'm wondering if 2020 is the year that Black students, Black teachers, and Black administrators at predominantly white institutions will be unpunished for having their Black skins uncovered by white masks. I'm wondering if Black girls and boys will continue to be policed as they enter urban school buildings through metal detectors. Will black young adults continue to be tokenized, ignored, and even insulted at private day and boarding schools? Will black adults continue to be threatened by militarized cops that see them as threats on traditionally white campuses? As a black woman who endured being black at the University of Maryland, black at the University of Pennsylvania, black at the Lawrenceville School, three institutions that are predominantly white, and were founded very specifically with only white men in mind, I have been keenly observing the black at private school, black in the Ivy League, and other such tell-all accounts on social media. With each post and article that I've read, I have taken tiptoed strolls down memory lane and rekindled some old relationships in the process. But the reminiscing hasn't always been easy. In looking back, I see clearly that segregation is real, and remains intentional. I see that fear of black bodies is real, but remains a bit of a distraction. In a lot of ways, it seems to be a red herring to distract from what may be a greater societal fear, the fear of the black intellectual to rouse and to rally folks away from, well, away from everything that the West was built upon. So this episode will look at being black in education, not just in the U.S., but also in Jamaica, 
a predominantly African descent nation, but a country that subscribes to and abides by a white British colonial system of inequality. My guest for season two, episode one, offers decolonial education as a way forward. Because despite the new brown shades, there is no quick band-aid for systematic inequality. Passive racism is still racism. Liberal left racism is still racism. And in all of the ways that the legacy of colonialism persists in black nations, it is still, no doubt, racism. So let's jump in with a nod to the Nigerian comedian Josh Too Funny, because even when we're laughing, we can still be learning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Teacher, What Are You Teaching These Kids edition of the Don't Lead Me Challenge. I'm your host, The Rhythm Writer. Let's get to it. All right, now this is a challenge. Here we go, here we go. What's this? A math book. What's this? A belt. Put it together. Oh, you're a math teacher. And if I don't pass the speed drill, you'll beat me. <laughs> don't leave me, don't leave me, please. Come back, come back, come okay, back. Okay, okay, okay. What's this? A language arts book. And, and what am I doing? You're pointing outside. Yes, now put it together. You're a language arts teacher. And if I don't get an A on my grammar test, I'll have to stand outside? Yes, yes, in the sun. Okay, okay, okay. Last one. What's this? A light bulb. And what are these? Broken chains. Put it together. Wait, I don't need this kind of education. I don't need this at all. Exactly. Oh! Freedom is coming tomorrow. Now, wasn't that a lot of fun? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I certainly had a good time. Now, please clap your hands if you had a teacher that used to scare you into learning. And please clap even louder if those chains are finally broken and the light bulb is finally on. This is the For Posterity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. I'm your host, The Rhythm Writer. Thanks for joining me. There isn't much to clarify going into this conversation. My guest is my sister, my blood sister, my real sister, Nigiri Samaj. She's here to talk with us about education because we need serious reform. Until we have decolonial education on a wholesale for everybody level, we're going to continue to have problems of inequality all across the globe. The conversation starts by examining education from a personal perspective, and then it moves into the professional, because the two are always tethered. Take a listen and see if you can decolonialize your mind. All right. So thank you for being my guest. For So I think that there is a lot going on. And I know that we've been talking in different um, moments over the last few months of 
various kinds of pandemics. And clearly we are about to go into another pandemic um, starting August and September. And that pandemic, of course, is going to be related to the back to school season and all of what that entails. So while we're thinking about moving forward with school spaces and all that will accompany that, I figured it might be nice to have a conversation that looks backwards as a way of looking forward. So, you know, again, thinking about private school spaces, public school spaces, and different political moments that have emerged in 2020. Um, For example, the Black at private schools conversations that have erupted, Black at elite schools in the U.S. Um, How can we have a conversation, I guess, about that experience and think about it also in a larger or from a larger perspective that would include a space like Jamaica as well. Because here we're not having those conversations about Black at any school in Jamaica. I do think Mm -hmm. that there is a a really interesting link between the two and certainly worth exploring. So, Najiri, sister, since you... um, did have the pleasure of attending um, an elementary school in Jamaica. Um, Maybe you can talk about your educational experience from then all the way up through, right? So maybe your Black at St. Peter and Paul experience, your Black at Sankaree experience, um, into your Black at public school in the Bronx, Black at Tabor Academy in Massachusetts, and even Black at UVA, and then keep it moving into your experience as an educator, as a black woman educator in, in different spaces uh, throughout the U.S. How has education changed, if at all? And then we can get into some other parts of it. So those are all the kind of big, 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 big ideas that I want us to tackle in this conversation. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's let's start with the thing that no one's talking about, which is black at St. Peter and Paul. You know what I mean? Um, what does it mean to be a little yes. black girl going to school in Jamaica? So the only things that I remember very vividly from my time at St. Peter and Paul, so I would have been under right. 10 um, somewhere between seven and nine, maybe. Um, the only things that I remember vividly are disciplinarian things, discipline things, and um, church. Right. Well, that goes hand in hand, right? Discipline That's- and church. Yeah, so I remember getting hit um, by, I remember the name of the ruler that the teacher had to hit us, but I don't even remember the teacher's yeah. name. I remember the ruler for the hitting. Uh, so I remember that when the teacher had to leave the classroom, um, she would appoint a monitor, and the monitor was always the same white girl. Was it the one white girl or the same white girl? It was a Mm. white girl who happened to be the same white girl. Right, right. And I don't know if there was, like, a whole... I'm not privy to knowing if it was a random selection, and it just happened to always be that white girl, (laughs) but it happened Mm -hmm. to be her. And there were definitely more kids that look like me in my class than her. So she would always be the monitor. And it was some, you know, if anyone talks while I'm outside of the room, your name goes on the list as per this Mm -hmm. white girl. 
and you get up, you go into the front of the room, you hold your hands out, and the teacher hits you right. um, in the palms of your hand with her ruler that was called Mrs. Dick. Hold up, what? Mrs. Dick was the uh, name all right. of the ruler. Okay. Wow. No, I, I don't even want to imagine that, actually. That's what I re- that's what I remember. I don't remember the woman's right. name. I just know that that was the name of the ruler because my name ended up on right. the list. And I don't remember talking. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't remember doing that. So that was a time I remember being hit for anything that was... I got hit for using, like, the desk. You could open the desk, um, like, a cupboard. So I, I might have fanned myself. Like, I opened it and, and brought it down. Not sl- Like, I didn't close it all the way, but I used it, like, fanning motion. And he, that teacher came right by and whacked me. Because you don't, we don't use our desks for that. So that's, I got hit. I just, I distinctly remember being hit. And if that wasn't what was going on, I remember being in the church part of things and singing um, Jesus songs that had, you know, like TPR, total physical response. So like the songs had movements that went with them. So those things stuck. But yeah, that's what I remember about uh, my time in St. Peter and Paul. And to connect that to like, your bigger, big question, the spaces that I found to be for Black kids, minus Sankare, are heavily, heavily regulated by discipline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. remember any of the other things, you know? Um, Sankare, I say, is an exception because that school, so that would be next. After I went to St. Peter and Paul, I went to Sankare. That school... I just remember, like, it was nice. Like, I I never got hit. And I got in trouble there. I definitely got in trouble, but I didn't get Mm -hmm. hit. And so that was awesome. I also remember that when I did get in trouble, um, people talked to me. The adults spoke to me. And so... Like a human. (laughs) I mean, even... I don't know if they were asking me questions or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I was... Certainly, I got... I remember receiving punishments that might be, you know, really silly, like a write something X amount of times type of punishment, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but, But write something X amount of times as a punishment on paper is way different than getting hit, right. especially when you live in a world of penmanship and, hey, right. it's practice. So, like, it's still not as punishing as right. getting hit. So, needless no, to say. This is really, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about in terms of the disciplinary element to elementary, right? And so how much of education, I guess, is about the social disciplines that you're supposed to learn. And, of course, what we're thinking about, too, is how are those disciplines, how are those societal constructs enforced in the first place? And it's usually, I guess, through fear. I'm proposing that that's what this reason for violence, physical violence is, is to impose some level of fear. And that is the only way that children must be able to learn. Yes? Yes. Fear is a thing. I do think that the supposed to is the part that's is really interesting, like the whole what you're supposed to learn and all that. Because I don't know how long it's been, but I'm sure psychologists and behavioral psychologists and people that work with children and pediatricians, like somebody must have already pointed out before I was in elementary school in the early 1980s that you don't have to hit kids to make them scared of you. We're literally small. (laughs) 
I'll jump in right there because I want to say two years ago, and if this is 2020, so 2018, I remember watching on TVJ's All Angles, and I guess the conversation was about um, either child abuse or discipline in schools or, you know, the, 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 the space between that, and there was an expert, um, she oh, was listed no. as an expert, want to say in sociology or maybe in social work. And this expert woman um, with a doctorate said that it is impossible to reason with anyone under the age of five. And that only way to communicate any action like that they should or shouldn't do is through your own action as the adult to hit them. So if you want Johnny to their finger on the stove you have to slap johnny because johnny is under age five and he cannot comprehend no or the fire will burn you so you're not even supposed to deal with it this is what someone said emphatically from wow. a position. that is so, that that is really and truly the most basic pedestrian almost illiterate yeah. way of of interpreting modeling for children. Right. Like, I, I'm a teacher, and I have literally, in 20 years of being a teacher, and over 20 years of being a teacher with kids bigger than me, taller than me, badder than me, all of it, I haven't hit one of them. <laughs> Not of one to get my point across. Not right. one to get mm-hmm. my point across. And I'm saying that knowing that there are teachers, mine from elementary school, that hit me. And I'm like, here I am teaching people in other languages, all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff. And I have not hit not one. And at no point has it ever even occurred to me, this kid isn't listening. He needs to be hit. What? How? No. Or even screaming and yelling. Oh my, no, you look, and there were, there were the years when I was new at teaching Mm -hmm. and had not quite developed whatever knowledge I needed to develop, learn, internalize, practice to understand that raising your voice is not communicating. So just because you're yelling doesn't mean you are being heard or that you're saying anything. And in fact, you look ridiculous as a whole adult screaming in a classroom where you already have made the rule that nobody should be screaming. You look ridiculous. (laughs) screaming at a child and whether this child is six or 16 you look ridiculous and that is how you will be remembered that is it so absolutely yeah so on my way through in terms of going through the the educational experiences that I had as a student um but particularly as a black student, right? Yeah, no, so, as a black student, like, yeah. Sankare would be the one that's the exception to all of it. Um, yeah. That would be the exception because I was among what, looking back in hindsight, are like-minded people that didn't mm-hmm. plan their school or their curriculum or their whole way of communicating. It wasn't through the lens of colonialism. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. In 1845, Frederick Douglass wrote these words in the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave. He said this. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. 
so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and imperishable Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. St. Peter and Paul was through the lens of colonialism, which is tied together with the lens of, you know, Christianity as a tool of colonialism. Colonial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I was getting hit all the time and, yeah. and disciplined and all of these things and nobody was saying words. And then here we and go. And perhaps that's why the girl, the white girl, was the monitor. Oh, also through was. the same lens colonialism. Right. Of course, because she can be trusted. Yeah. The rest of us cannot right. be trusted. Of course yeah. not. And I didn't know what that was. I just recognized... <laughs> I recognized that it was always her. And like, even when we would be out in the playground, like out for for lunch or whatever, anything she said that happened out at lunch was Mm -hmm. reason for someone to get hit. Like, to this day, I do not understand how that girl had so much power, except I know exactly how she had so much power. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I wonder what she's doing with her power now. Um, Probably out here calling the police on some black people that are barbecuing in a park. Very good. Karen from St. Peter and Paul, <laughs> you are wrong. You are still wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So Sankaray certainly was a different kind of space. So yeah, I remember Sankaray. Yeah, and the I, lens was different. The lens was Yeah, Sankaray it was a completely different. different space, right? It was a shift towards... It was um, decolonized. <laughs> well, certainly decolonized, right? So different kind of space for sure. Instead of prayer... In the morning, which you would have at any given school in on the island, we had, you know, story time from mm-hmm. Anansi stories and various other kinds of stories of, um, from Africa and, and whatnot. So it was a different kind of space for sure. And I guess when you decenter, and I guess, but certainly when you decenter and decolonialize, you have a different kind of experience. Right. I want to touch on the whole what you need to know, right, to mm-hmm. be a proficient mm-hmm. human, because that is very relative. Yeah. Right. It's it's you. We want you to be thinkers. That Mm -hmm. is that is that's where it starts. We want you to be curious. That is where it starts, which however far you take that curiosity, however Mm -hmm. far you take thought, we won't know anything about that. So what we're going to do right now is just provide space and opportunity for thought and curiosity. You do not right. get thought and curiosity from people getting from beaten. fear. You no, fear does right. not do anything for curiosity. That's it kills right. it. It doesn't. So that yeah. is the difference that I, in my adult language, I can say looking back, my, this is adult mm-hmm. language, teacher language, student language, that, yeah, the difference with mm-hmm. Saint-Coray is that this was a space that was born from mm-hmm. decolonized thinking because... Mm-hmm. The, the, every bit of colonized mind is get everyone in line to make mm-hmm. sure that they do what they are told. What? Yes. According to right. whom? And so, and mm-hmm. then I also want to touch on what you said about instead of morning prayer, which is recite someone else's words. 
Yes. Right. Right. Again, <laughs> right. no curiosity, no thought. Instead of morning prayer, which is recite someone else's words, story time is first. It's, it calls upon the oldest tradition, which is mm-hmm. oral tradition, and mm-hmm. like the whole idea of the griot. Right. You know what I mean? And this is something anyone can do. And mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is empowering. Like every version of this, of what you think is the same Anansi story is valid. Right. It's yeah. valid. You are now the storyteller. You can tell this story. You can add a plantain. You can take one out. You can add a friend, <laughs> rare dog. You can take him out. And it's yeah. totally fine because thought and curiosity. Reciting right. prayers. What is that? What is that going to do for me? Our father. No. I know all the words. And, and what? Mm-hmm. And what? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now I guess we're moving to um, from, from middle school to yeah. middle school in the Bronx. So right. I get to middle school in the Bronx. And what I can say, and I'll say this, uh, this goes straight through to when I left teaching in a public setting, which was 2010. So mm-hmm. from middle school in the Bronx in 1988 to me leaving teaching in public school in 2010, the, the, the vibe, the pattern, the goal, all goes right back to St. Peter and Paul, <coughs> which, is, yeah. which is discipline and, and squashing thought and creativity. I don't care how many of these schools say that they have a, quote, gifted program, or they have a magnet program, or they have a you know, this charter school is in this neighborhood and we're here to help these black kids and these, it is born from the colonized mind. Right. The, the, the language that is used to even communicate their goals is not a language of empowerment. It is not a language of, of thought and curiosity. Right. Simple as that. So I'm in my middle, I was in two middle schools in the Bronx and I honestly, I don't know how to this day, I don't remember. I think one of them had the gifted program and the other one didn't. But right. the, the two middle schools are right next to each other and wildly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so and this somehow is zoning works that way. Yeah. <laughs> and so right next to each other, serving the same neighborhood but mm-hmm. my, when I, was, when I was in sixth grade in one school, it was all one type of kid mostly. And then I'm right. in seventh and eighth grade in the other school, and it was, there were white kids. Yep. <laughs> and this is, yeah. like, we didn't cross the street. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. We didn't cross the street. Yeah. But all the white kids <laughs> were in one middle school, and, like, none of them were in mm-hmm. the other middle school. And then the ones that were in the other middle school would be considered... The ones that, you know, like hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. Black, black adjacent. Yeah, the ones who can come to the cookout, as it were. <laughs> okay, and, and yeah. that, was, that was that. And again, the same general idea of yelling at people, both of those middle schools. Obviously, mm-hmm. the one with fewer white kids. Me, and when I say fewer white kids, I mean, I was, I was in the gifted class, I think, and so... There were definitely the white kids were in there. That's another mm-hmm. thing to discuss. But right, 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 right. Overall, there's yelling. There are adults, you know, adults yelling. There are there's security guards. We were next mm-hmm. to um, a high school as yep. well. So there's 
there's all of this security and safety. And like, I never felt unsafe in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like my whole but somehow life. there were somehow you needed security guards in the right. schools and, even and if, exactly and the whole from in my mind it's like if everyone in this school is from here we know mm-hmm. this neighborhood this is our neighborhood mm-hmm. and yes I understand there were like things that happened because things are gonna happen right. I don't know if if the way that it was set up I know I'm not saying I don't know I know that the way <laughs> it was set up is absolutely not the way to meet that challenge you know right but it but it does increase fear oh and, we like that. and again that's the same thing i said is the yeah. old, is the the connecting thing for all of these schools that are out here trying to be like we're so different no you're not yeah <laughs> so from middle school is to high school which is yeah. hilarious i get to Tabor and Tabor is when I saw the most white people together all at once in my life. But wait a minute, before you get into Tabor though, before you like arrive at that point, can you say something about your choice to go to that school perhaps as opposed to a different private school? Oh, none, um, none of that mattered to me. I don't, I have zero recollection of caring. Of caring. Of caring. <laughs> because they were all the same. What's different? Okay. That, well, that's what I was wondering, though, because oh, yeah, when yeah, I went to I, private oh school, God. I recognized some of the differences. But of course, I had the luxury of being able to have observed your experience, right? right. So saw I didn't that have one. Said, well, I don't want to go as far away as Najiri went. Right. I'll go to Jersey. So, okay, you didn't care at all. Got no, it. I didn't care one bit. The only reference point I ever had for boarding school in my life was Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is my reference point for boarding school. <laughs> And I mean, to be fair, you're going to take the bath, you take them all and there you have. That's a life. <laughs> that is, that's my only reference point. And that's a legit reference point. That's Kim Fields. That's that's you know good. what I mean? Like everybody liked Tootie. Everybody it's liked not, her. You it's know? true. There, it, Mrs. Garrett did, was there. Did, making so did you feel you? like Tootie? Were you, were you living the Tootie life? I, I don't, I honestly, well, so. Cause we never thought about that. Oh no, no, no. I've thought about it because Tootie was popular and fun and like everybody yeah. like seemed to like her. Yeah. And that's what happens when you're the only black person. You're exceptional. You're a very yeah. exceptional. Like you're, you're cool by default because yeah. we have already decided as a society, um, in that only black people are. have certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can dance, we can play sports, like all those mm-hmm. entertaining things. So yeah. like, you're, you're, you're cool by default. So like, how is yeah. that bad, right? So I get to Tabor and my only reference point for boarding school is Facts of Life. And I remember like, it was late when I, when it turned out that I would be going to Tabor. Like it was not like in March that that was found mm-hmm. out. It was like in the summertime. And so- oh. Yeah, because part of it was I was very young and well, that was there. That was what I was. I remember hearing, oh, well, Mm -hmm. he's only 12 going Mm -hmm. into the ninth grade. She's she's significantly younger. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and now that I work in schools, I always hear adults saying this. And I'm like, you know, who doesn't care? The kid. (laughs) Yeah. The kid has no idea that you all think that they're too young for this because they're just operating with their peers. So I heard that as a thing. But then when I got to Tabor and it turned out that that place is what it is, um, 
which is for context, it is a boarding school in Massachusetts that is on the water that has a, a naval history. You know, it's got a 92-foot schooner. Its sailing program is super prestigious. They do sailing races, all kinds of stuff. And they just let girls be boarders in, like, 1981 or something. And I showed up in 1991. Right. My school got the had girls come in 1989. Exactly. So, like, there were female day students, but there were not female boarders until the 80s. So, like, Mm. this means that there's a culture. Right. That is heavily skewed towards right. white boys. White men. White yeah. boys. So that's mm-hmm. number one. Then, like, you know, now they're dealing with borders that are girls. And then on top of that, they have to start dealing with, like, what? People of color. And Yikes. So, right. Lock your doors. And because it's, like, 1980, not, no, 1991, like, I guess we're still in the language of, of, in affirmative action to terrible white people means that their spaces are going to get taken away by unprepared mm-hmm. brown people when we all know that affirmative action is to help white women not bang their right. heads on the glass ceiling. But whatever, mm-hmm. truths are, <laughs> facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. Right. So needless to say, I get to Tabor at a time that is, you know, 1991. And I, I, I have a good time wherever I go for the most part. So... Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't remember internalizing any of the nasty things that were said to or around me. And I'm certain that part of that is because I went to St. Coray. Right. <laughs> and my parents are who they are, which means that at no point, which is a, a feat, I think, mm. a feat for me to not feel bad about myself as a black female human. No, we were definitely raised to be very strong and firm in our I, blackness. I, like, it <laughs> never occurred to me, like, the only thing that I have dealt with over the whole span of my life is hair. Mm, mm-hmm. I've never wanted to be lighter. I've never cared about light and dark. I, right. I have always loved being at the beach, being in the sun. I, none of that colorism stuff ever got into me. I never thought of myself as... Anything for a black girl. Never. Yeah. 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 Agreed. No, Never. it's definitely a huge feat. You know, growing up in any of the spaces of Jamaica right. or New York and to, to have been like Teflon to that is huge. Yeah, I remember like none, none of that ever got on me. Yeah. None of it. So like Never. I'm a Tabor and you know, I, I, in my teaching life, I see it currently and I, I felt it there, which is it's, you know, the social exclusion that is, passively happening like there's really there's not like a ton of there's people that say those sideways comments like oh you're gonna go to so-and-so's house for the weekend and then that friend is one of my friends in maybe 10th or 11th grade I was going to her house for the weekend and it turned out her grandparents from Iowa were gonna be there as well and as we're Uh pulling up to the house she turns to me and she just casually is like oh my grandparents are going to be here this weekend. You know, did you say grandparents or clan parents? Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Um, (laughs) Her grandparents are going to be there for the weekend. And if they say anything, Oh, don't mind them. They know I go through my phases. Wow. Phases. They know I go through my phases and I'm sitting in the car. Mm. Like, all right. Mm. What am I supposed to do with that information? (laughs) 
I guess you were supposed to get out of the car and hop on a bus and go back somewhere else. No, I, I and but or, but the worst thing is this is the white people that I was with. It yeah. never occurred to her to tell me that before she invited me to her house. Yeah, she tells me exactly. this when I am at her house and cannot leave it. So what does mm-hmm. this mean? Make what like minimize myself, become invisible? What do I do? How do I do mm. this? What do I? And so all I said was okay because. I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. I remember, you know, all of the, there was a particular group of just really, this is, this is where the whole, like, you know, the Dixiecrats and like, you know, the country club racists versus yeah. the Klan members. I remember that while I was at Tabor, I found the most offensive people, I guess, to be, it, it, was, a, it was usually like, not all of the athletes, but certainly like I would hear the most racist things coming from like the hockey players, mm-hmm. you know, like black jokes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and I didn't, I didn't know any of the racist words for like Irish people, for Italians, right. for Jewish people. But they I, knew them. I had no idea. And like, I would be hearing these things from like different kids and I'm just like, Oh, Oh, and this is pre Google. So you can't even <laughs> like check. You're just like, Oh, right. that's what people say. Oh, yeah. in Boston, that's what people say. So, and again, another mm. part is a lot of people were coming from Boston and Boston is, 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 is America. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's notoriously American. That's the oh. best way to put it. Speaking of notoriously American. So one other thing that did happen at Tabor, and I can show you this, is um, my senior year, there was a leadership sim- symposium. And I, at that point, was the only black girl in my grade. When I got there, there were three of us and two of them, the other two left, um, didn't come back for 10th grade, right? Then in in 10th grade, uh, a a girl came and was my roommate and she left in like October or November because she was like, I'm off this and didn't come back for the rest of the school year. And so by like junior year or senior year, junior year, I think it was just me. And then Mm. senior year, just me as a girl, then, of course, they found a boy, and so mm-hmm. he came, and, oh, this is turning into two stories. So when, when, <laughs> he, when he came, he came to play some sports. Let's call it football and basketball, right? Mm-hmm. And so here go my very good friends who I've lived with from ninth grade to, like, 11th grade, or 11th or 12th. I think it was 11th when the guy showed up. And, of course, everybody that was my friend and we had lived together and been friends for like all these years, September 8th, the second day of school, all Mm. of them, you and -and so-and-so should date. Oh, of course. You have matching skin. You guys have so many things in common. You have matching skin. You should (laughs) date. You have so many things in common. And it's like, we all just met him two hours ago. How do you know that? (laughs) Oh, God. How do you even know that? Like, okay, whatever. So in in my senior year when that leadership symposium happened, um, (laughs) former, uh, excuse me, Tabor alum who had done whatever they had done were invited. So the guy who was like the CEO or whatever of Reebok, he might have had something to do with something. And I remember Kevin White, was a guest. And Kevin White was the former mayor of Boston. And he graduated from Tabor very long ago. Mm -hmm. And he Mm -hmm. was the mayor of Boston when Boston finally, 
finally decided, okay, fine, we'll integrate our public schools in 1976. Whoa. Remember. Right on time. The integration of public schools in America was decided in 1954. By the right, Supreme but it was decided Court. to be done with deliberate speed, which yes. actually means dig your when, heels in and drag them. Whenever you feel like it. That's right. Whenever, whenever it's convenient for you. That's right. So 1976 is when Boston was doing busing and Mm. Kevin White was the mayor at that time. And Mm. I didn't know this when this was happening, like when I was in the space with him. I didn't know this. But when I tell you that there is a picture of me and Kevin White on the cover of the Boston Herald. Wow. My school knew that. Wow. But I'm just going to have to interrupt again, because one thing that our parents said very early on, and especially when we were going to school, I remember, um, I remember when, um, they said it to you and then they said it to me, which was (laughs) do not be anybody's black experience. That's it. So if only you had been privy to what Mayor White was doing, you could have told him no. Exactly. I didn't know who he was. I didn't wow. know who he was. I'm from New York. I did not know oh, who he Mayor was. Oh, Mayor White. And so in a space, yeah. in this leadership symposium, a mm. photographer is gathered. And here I am with a white boy, myself, and Mayor Kevin White mm. in a picture that ends up on, like, the Boston Herald. And I have the clipping from the paper now. And everybody, yeah. they were so proud. He mailed it to me. He ma- Oh, Kevin God. White. Yeah, well, because you know he's he's proud, like like of course. You're, I, and the, there's a note on the pictures, like I'm sure your parents would be really happy to see because I'm on the cover of a paper. And I'm right, like, right. I've been in papers. No, no, no. This is your <laughs> this is success. You have made right, it to the mountaintop. Right? Yep. Oh God! But this is the problem with diversity instead of inclusion, right? Yep. Or or it's, I mean, diversity and inclusion. I have a problem. Yeah, with they're both too. problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh God. But yeah, so, so is, yeah, what they. They, they tokenized me mm-hmm. knowingly, knowingly, knowingly. Yeah. I didn't know. Why would I know who Kevin White yeah. is? Why would I know what that, oh, that Boston didn't integrate their schools for 20 years? Yeah. Come on, come on. And y'all just happened to casually put me in a picture with this guy, me, the only black kid in my, in my grade? Come on, right. come on, come on. But this is exactly what it means to be black at any of these elite schools, black yeah. at, a, at, a, at a private school in America. And I still don't think, you know, again, that it's going to be so much different from what oh, you no, were experiencing no. at St. Peter and Paul. It's and then not. just to think about like what anyone is doing at any of these schools and how black people are treated and how racism is always going to be a factor or yeah. it has consistently been a factor. Until um, they don't want it to be one anymore. And when I say that, white people until they don't want it to be a factor anymore it will be and I know currently I teach I've been teaching for the last 10 years in independent schools I'm not calling them elite schools anymore I didn't make that name up so yeah so I go through Tabor and then like I get to UVA and UVA I don't even know like I went to a tiny white boarding school in Massachusetts and then I get to the south I mean, and I'm not going to, I shouldn't even say the South as if the South is the only segregated place in the United States. Every place is segregated in the United States, okay? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I get to Virginia, and what struck me was, I remember thinking to myself, this is like a black college. Mm. (laughs) That's how White Tabor was. And all the black people hung out together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, It appeared to me 
that all the black people hung out together. A couple weeks in, so now it's like, this is late August, so now somewhere towards the end of September, three black girls in my dorm end Mm -hmm. up coming to my room. I have never met them. I don't know them. They knock on my door, and they're like, we heard you go to Rugby Road to parties. And Uh I was like, yeah. They were like, black people don't go. And I was like... This is how they. This is how they right. introduce themselves to me. Like, yes. this is like an intervention. And I was, yeah. like, I was like, but I see black people there. Like, there's black yeah. people there. Like, I'm there, and there's definitely other black guys there. And they're mm-hmm. like, those are athletes. Okay. And well, they were, and that is yeah. what I learned. Next was black male athletes have access that yeah. the rest. <laughs> Certainly not. Of the black people don't have. Right. A lot of, yeah. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. so that was the biggest thing I think that UVA presented. I don't know. I finished all of that education and I I went about my business and I taught in public school for 10 years and Mm. I have fun in my classes. I think the kids are having mostly a good time. I thought that, again, the discipline, that was the, that was always the biggest thing, especially for the the introductory levels of mm-hmm, courses, mm-hmm. things like effort grades, like all of that sort of thing. Um, mm. I just saw that kind of thing used to discontinue the legacy of segregation. Right. That's, ex- that's exactly what's happening, right. That's it. And then, you know, I switched to, I, I, t- I taught for two years in two different charter schools. This is also like 2008. So No Child Left Behind has just, right. has just made its way out into the world, which is like one of the best ways that the American government has found to defund education. Yeah. <laughs> it's, really, it's really sick. It's brilliant. It's diabolical. <laughs> So, like, we don't want any kid to left, get left behind. So if kids do badly on these tests, we're just going to shut this school down. Yeah. And then meanwhile, oh meanwhile at private school where I, where I currently work, it costs $50,000 a year for a kid right. to be there. And you're telling me that money doesn't help? I know that in the grand scheme of how American education, American public education works, like where there is an urban setting and public mm-hmm. schools, good luck. Because hmm. that's where you're going to find the most people of color, the most immigrants, the most poor. And this government is not about that. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. It's true. Governments aren't about that. Or so it seems. So in the meantime, we have to ask ourselves, what are we about? What has any of this education history that's been outlined from public to private, from primary to higher education, what does any of it do and what has it prepared us for? Or has the tradition of passive education left us unable to think critically? And now back to your regularly scheduled program. So education, is it? Like, is, what is school about? Is it about education or is it about um, somewhere to put people that are, you know, under the age of 18 um, until mean, they can go to yeah. work? Where do you put these people? But that's the thing, right? That's exactly it. If we're talking yeah. about like education for the masses. Right, right. Because right. that's not the same thing as where I currently work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, and I think again, this is a regional, this is a hemispheric. I dare say this is a global situation of how we certainly. understand and how education has been configured. I mean, education is has only been used as a tool, right? We go from apprenticeship, yeah, to oh wait a minute, kids can't be at the the loom anymore. The kids yeah. can't be working in these factories anymore. We can't put okay, them in then, machines to make wheels. Uh, what? They can't be chimney sweeps? I, I thought that they were their small bodies were nimble for Exactly. <laughs> so now we have to put them somewhere because the industrial revolution came. Has happened. We can't, we can't put them in factories, so yeah. it's public school. And then right. we tell ourselves the lie. But that's that's what this that's what this is built on. I mean right. we are built on the free lie. labor and lies. Free That's labor it. and the lies. Lie. The lie, mm-hmm. the lie, mm-hmm. the lie. We freed you. Yeah. You didn't even do that. You didn't even yeah. do that. That's what Juneteenth is about. You didn't even right. do that. If you freed anybody, yeah. people would have learned to read sooner. Right. How about that? Right. If, if there was right. really freedom, you, they would have been illiterate. Right. And you can't just learn it. Someone has to teach it to you. Someone right. So you, you would have been taught anybody. and that's, that's the right. whole thing. Right. So this whole idea, I mean, even the myth about, you know, pulling oneself up by the bootstraps, oh, like cool. all of these myths, it's all rhetoric. It's all rhetoric to just disillusion people to think yep. that they should have the power. And if they don't have it, if they can't succeed, it's, it's, it's because it's a, they have failed. Individual flaw. Exactly. In individual. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not that it's that the system is designed in a particular kind right. of way. And, and that, and that is again, very mm-hmm. applicable for the mm-hmm. masses. Yeah. Because that is not what is happening mm-hmm. for the minority. Right. And I don't mean minority like black people are a minor. I mean like the 1%. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and their percentage adjacent. Right. You know? And, and then in what? Jamaica, thinking about the school system here, and again, like yeah. what you're saying about how people can't go back to work until the students get back into schools because of all of these issues. But this idea about, you know, switching everything to a um, virtual education model, right? But not everyone has access to internet, access to computers, access to the devices that one needs so that so many students have been left behind. So there are students that are moving into different grades well, clearly since day one, yeah. right? But there are students that have, are advancing with no training, with having received no instruction and no tutelage and having had no access for months. So what happens to them? No, nothing. Are they just going to be... Them. Nothing, because right. this, system, this system needs them to, right. to be Because it was basic. built on free labor, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the more the basic, the better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It needs them to be... And this is, like, I'm, I, I am absolutely one of the teachers that is fully for remote learning and i'm only using the phrase remote learning because that's the one that they have for it so i'm Mm -hmm. speaking their language i Mm -hmm. personally think that we could have spent this time certainly i am spending this time getting my act together so that the emergency response that i was doing in the spring can be better then right. because I've had time now to like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I make myself personable? How do I make this like interactive via the right. screen? So like that's mm-hmm. what I've been using my time to do. But I'm thinking about like, this is the same country that maybe 2017, they're, like I feel like the FCC, the federal communication people, like mm-hmm. they, they got rid of net neutrality. They did whatever they did yeah. and made it so like, People can't even all get streaming because right. <laughs> the, who right. can afford? Who can afford? And this is something right. that can easily, easily be remedied mm-hmm. by just turning the switch. But they That's don't it. want to because that is not the system. Our system right. is 
the the most wildly steroid infused capitalism ever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it requires it requires a lot of people to stay at the bottom to stay that's it. right there that's it right it, it feeds on mediocrity because there's no way for the no, top to maintain it. its position it, and mediocrity yeah. is who's in charge mediocrity is who's at the top making the decisions and then mm-hmm. just anyone that couldn't I don't even know like you couldn't like grab on to someone because like not for nothing like yes school I guess the good thing about being in a physical school socializing with people that don't have to like you yeah that's but that's and that's you know training I mean? for your work that's just training that's for the work exactly, world that's exactly. all it is yeah exactly the Spanish that I speak is not necessarily because of how I was taught Spanish in school. Right. Me right. speaking Spanish and being fluent in another language and mm-hmm. proficient in Portuguese is because I am a thinker and I am right. curious. It never got beaten out of me. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So I think mm-hmm. of all those classes that mm-hmm. were the Spanish classes of my, of my high school, certainly. The Spanish classes of my high school where it would be like this forced deference to Spain, mm. this yeah. forced putting on of this lisp accent. Right. Meanwhile, right. there are 20 countries over here that don't right. do that. And you're just going to ignore that? Like, mm-hmm. really? Like, the vocabulary growth that happens with, like, a language like Spanish over mm-hmm. here in Latin America where people, foods, animals, these mm-hmm. things don't even exist And this is not a part, I mean, so yes, as a language teacher, I mean, the decolonization of language teaching, right? Even though we understand that the the language is French, it could still be taught from the... Francophone Africa, from Senegal. Absolutely, right? It could be from the Francophone (laughs) Caribbean, any of these spaces, right? But it's not, right? So this, again, this privileging of Europe in all realms of education and how problematic it is, right? So that all of... I'm just about decolonize everything. If yeah. you really want to be creative, if you really want to sh- demonstrate that you are a thinker, you want to demonstrate that you can, that you go beyond, mm-hmm. then just be like, no, I'm not going to do, like, whatever is the way that things have been done, make, mm-hmm. let me, what would happen if I if we did it differently? Even yeah. just, you don't even have to think too hard. Just be like, what would happen if I teach my English class, my literature class, mm-hmm. and I used a book a coming-of-age story because every English class somewhere in 10th grade wants to do a coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. What if this coming-of-age was about a bisexual girl? Right. Or a girl who wasn't... <laughs> yeah. Or a poor kid. Or mm-hmm. why is... Every, come on. Like, it's just... I don't know. Just it, think. You can start yeah. small. You can literally right. start small. Yeah. Just start. That's the whole thing. There are students that enter my university classrooms, and if I ask them questions, they are deeply concerned with how I'm going to react because yeah. they look at me and say, you have the power, you're the professor, you must have all the control, and I must be deferential and yep. fearful of you. And I have to, to, to warm them up to the idea yeah. that they matter as a student and that their voice matters and that there's no necessarily center to this classroom and all of that. But that's 18 year olds and it does take them still a long time, right? Like a month at least. So what if someone's 30? What if someone's 40? What if someone's 50? How, how do they step away from 
what that they've always known. To. Exactly. <laughs> they, the traditions that they've been upholding forever because they were either beat by Mrs. Dick themselves. Right. Or, you know, they see that this is a system that's going to benefit them. How does it change? How do you, so, how do you change it? What I think has been very helpful, and I didn't know this phrase before 2014. I, I hadn't really thought about it, and I don't know that I've heard it. I just know I heard it a lot at the school that I worked at in D.C., and it was growth happens in discomfort. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself in a situation, in a place, in a space, reading a book, watching a movie, listening to a conversation, and you're like, wait a minute, what? If it's challenging whatever you already thought, Mm -hmm. and I understand that there can be bad things that definitely make people uncomfortable, but in terms of talking about positive things in, Mm. let's say, school spaces, if you find yourself being like, wait a minute, I don't know. That sounds different. Like, wait a minute. What do you mean if we line the kids up? Wait, if we don't line them up? If we don't line them up, exactly. <laughs> if we don't line them up? Well, how will wait, they, they, how they, they can know? organize themselves? How will they know that they have to get ready to go back into their classroom? If, mm-hmm. we, if we don't ring a bell, how will mm-hmm. they know that lunch is over? Right. If, if we don't do textbooks, how will they know what chapter we're on? Right. Right. And and so those little basic things, because, again, I'm coming from like a world of textbooks and all of that. And now I work in schools where there it's like, oh, we don't use textbooks. We make it up as we go along. So that's what Mm -hmm. we can do for the, quote, elite. Mm hmm. But not for anyone else. But everybody else got to go chapter one to twelve. Right, come on, right. come on! Like you don't want them to think, like you don't want no. them to do an adventure. Yes, exactly. That is oh, that is absolutely yeah. the answer. So, so I think thinking about growth happening in discomfort. If you're totally comfortable, I mean, there's people like me that are comfortable in discomfort, like because I'm just yeah. like, some, something good is going to come out of this. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm going to know one more thing than I knew before this. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm looking at things. But I get, like, if you're going to be, if you can process the idea that you're in a classroom setting, because I'm just going to narrow us back into a classroom, like, mm-hmm. or not even, like, you're a 30-year-old in a, in a, in a social situation, and right. you're about to tell your friend not to walk away from their drink because somebody mm-hmm. is going to put something in it. That is absolutely a safe and good thing for you to say. And then you should think to yourself, what can I do to make it so people don't put things in drinks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the next level of thought. It's like, just next step, like, right. Why are we thinking that this drink person has to protect their drink and not thinking about what can we do as a, as a social circle, as a friend group, mm-hmm. as people that like to go to clubs? What, can we, what do we need to do to make it so that people don't do that sort of thing? Right. But it takes a curious mind, right? So yeah, it's just always again, about feeding a curious mind. mind. When I think mm. of like Jamaica and I think of yeah. getting hit by that teacher at St. Peter and Paul and I think of whoever else is hitting their kids that totally see themselves as mm. classy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're super yeah. classy and you're out here beating a five-year-old. What do right. you look like? Which your big age at your big age hitting a five year old, a six year old, a 10 year old. Get out of Mm -hmm. here. Get Mm -hmm. out of here. 
beating curiosity yeah, out of these children, and then wondering—that's all it is. And then wondering and you, why. You should, you should see the other, the alternate punishments when they're not hitting. Oh, I, it's yeah. these, it's those alternate punishments that you've read about in, um, like Negro curiosity books, the old, Testament. where it's like, you will stand in the sun <laughs> right. with your arms in a T yep. for the next 70 minutes so that I, you I remember that. this moment. I had to stand in the sun with my arms in a T. I and it, that is did. that is a cruel and unusual punishment. Right. And I don't know how that's supposed to teach someone not to pull someone's hair. Right. I don't know how that's supposed to teach someone anything except that the sun is a powerful weapon. None of these people are even correlating. And I, I haven't done any of the studies, but let me mm-hmm. tell you, teachers happen to be a lot of women. And so mm-hmm. you're going to tell me that all these days that these women are out here beating on these little boy children and y'all mm-hmm. want to ask how in the, where did this kid learn to hit this woman? Right, right. I'm not saying They seem to have so factor, much negativity. Yeah. But it's it's but not the only There's factor, something in there. It is, it is something. It is something. You see? Because I didn't get hit a lot. I can't even, like, mm-hmm. the, the hitting that I remember really came from St. Peter and Paul. Yeah, it really did. I remember us talking about you making sure when you were looking for schools for the girls that like mm. that was not there on the menu. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, the, the country has decided that there should be no corporal punishment in schools. But I know for a fact that it's that happening. is not wholesale. Exactly. So there are people or students and teachers that are still engaging in physical situations where they should not be. And I guarantee and the girls- it's happening really badly in low income Oh, absolutely. I guarantee. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's happening. The thing is, it's happening even more curiously with permission from parents, right? Oh, so there's people that are still going to hold on. And I think that's what this whole conversation is about, right? Is that there's so much tradition that is rolled yeah. into any of this education system that you have to divorce the one if you're going to advance the other. Well, and people are so unwilling to yep. give up their traditions. The tradition bit to me is just a total demonstration of a lack of creativity which i already talked oh, clearly about. like clearly even bother coming up with something new like no nope. come on so that's number one number two i remember mm-hmm. we were on i was on a committee the committee for equity and inclusion and my mm-hmm. role had to do with uh, professional development for teachers to you know work on developing maintaining sustaining inclusive lesson planning, inclusive Mm -hmm. curriculum, stuff like that. And I remember one of the topics that came across our committee was should they get rid of the school had a tradition of dads dressing up as cheerleaders in what would be women's clothing, what would be considered, you know, stereotypically female cheerleader clothing and dads dressed up as female cheerleaders, cheerleaders dressed in skirts, etc. And they Mm -hmm. would be cheerleaders at the girls varsity volleyball game. Mm -hmm. So it came up as a topic to be discussed as something that needed to be challenged, a tradition that needed to be challenged because the school had already gone in the direction of, you know, gender neutral bathrooms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The school has already said this is a safe place for people that identify as on the gender spectrum. Right. So having a tradition that makes fun of that sort mm-hmm. of, you know, like gender roles is Yeah, that's a mixed message now. Mixed so message. This, so mm-hmm. this came up as something for us to discuss. And I remember someone was like, well, you know, it is a tradition. It's been going on for a while. And I was like, look, Tradition, as far as I'm concerned, means that nobody in this room right now is supposed to be here. Right. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't even, I, I think at the table at the time, there was not a white man. Mm-hmm. Or there might have been one white man. And so I was Right, like, so it was just and him. And he wasn't <laughs> even a, a, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So look, nobody at this table is supposed to be here, according to mm-hmm. tradition. So mm-hmm. decolonize everything. Start something new. Yeah. <laughs> you built it on, I think... on slavery and misogyny. So you, everything <laughs> can go in the trash as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> comforted by their degrees at this point it's literally like pushing people off a cliff to ask people yeah. to be curious why am i gonna just assess if you can read and write when is the last time you wrote somebody a five paragraph essay well, in my line of work, I do, right? Lots of oh, yeah, you do, you do, you do. But still, but, but, for, still, but for the majority of humans on Earth, right. How are we right. doing this right now? We're right. That, that's true. Notes. We're not that- <laughs> I like I like good foods. I like things that are old recipes. I like adding new mm. things to them. Like, I like remixes. <laughs> I like yeah. all of that sort of thing. Like, it doesn't yeah. discount whatever was in the past, it is mm-hmm. building on. It's called evolution. This is for posterity. <laughs>